Chapter 25 Peter Ellison 11.48 hours, the 15th of October, 2047 New Washington Ellison had just reached his private office when Katz buzzed him. Yes? Katz ignored his snap. Awed, sir. What about him? They have trouble. Ellison swore. Put him on. One look at the man's face and Ellison swore again. Sir, it's the sanitizer. You're losing slippage. Yes, sir. How much? Ord's face shone with fine sweat. We, er, uh, half an hour to date, sir. And the old man? Er, uh, going strong, as far as we can tell. Ellison blew out hard. Get to it, Ord, and watch your last. You debrief the man as soon as he comes to, you hear? Uh, yes, sir. Expect McAllister about 1,300 hours. Yes, sir. Ellison cut, sat back, feeling anger and relief at the same time. He'd been seeking some excuse to be rid of McAllister. Now he could send the man off to Estradita with instructions to wait for strippage and slip off with cats unnoticed. The door swished open to admit cats. Sir, the shuttle's here, Cargo Bay. Good. Cargo Bay, where a space-side shuttle wouldn't attract undue notice. Let's see McAllister. Alone again, Ellison got up and walked around his desk. We've come a long way, Peter. Maybe as far as we can go. He smacked the desk with the flat of his hand. Why couldn't she understand? Things had never been simple. She should know more than most that it wasn't always nice or easy. She knew well enough what he'd had to do to survive, what sacrifices he'd had to make of others. Again, that was what it was. You learned the rules, how to break them, how to win clean and dirty. He spun around in sudden self-disgust and leaned against the desk, facing the door. Suzanne was right. It wasn't a game this time. The old man was for real. He was a man of truth. And yet, the hesicaster was also very wise. He'd delivered himself bodily into Ellison's hands. Deliberately, 
intentionally. They both knew that. There was no doubt that the old man knew full well the risk he was taking. Why, he'd as good as offered himself up for ransom. Hadn't he? Ellison rubbed his brow. Right again, Suzanne. He was going around and around in circles. Getting where? He had to stay on top. God knew he hated Hengst, despised him. And he knew that in going to see the man, he was as a fly visiting with a spider in its web. The trick was not to get too close. Right now, Hengst called the shots. For now, Ellison must do as he'd always done to come out on top. Go with the flow and bide his time. He wasn't betraying the old man for all time, only using him for temporary bait. He'd bail the man out at the right moment. Encouraged, he straightened up and walked back to his chair. All things being equal, he'd get hanged in the end. After all, he'd promised. Take that hanged apart. It's you or no one. And now it was now or never, while Hengst was so sure of himself. First he'd offer the strips as bait, then the old man himself, if the hellfire synergizer didn't fall apart. Damn Ord and his machine! All the time Ellison was space-side, he'd be worrying. No synergizer? No more strips. No strips. No deal. Well, he had enough clips already to keep Hengst interested. Minus the one giving Demil's coordinates. Oh, why worry? Ord had his replacements. Transducer plates shipped down post-haste from space-side. Clean plates. Ellison himself had had them checked three times by three separate security outfits. Surely the man would have the thing working again soon, and maybe he had already. McAllister walked in. Ah, McAllister. There's been a slight hitch. I want you to go to Estrelita right away. Wait for strippage. I'll send you further orders, okay? Okay, McAllister said. But the cool blue eyes told differently. Ellison looked down. The man suspected something was up. But he dared not say anything. A radio rat didn't challenge the controller. 
Ellison clenched his hands. Why, damn it, couldn't he look up again? Fires of hell! He was ashamed! Ashamed at this stage of his career! He got rid of the man, sat with his head in his hands, recognising the old familiar ache. Those times he'd gone about picking up after Grandfather's dawn massacres in the marshes. He sat up. He had to get a hold on himself, or they'd all go to the wall. He pressed for cats. Sir, are we ready? Yes, sir. Okay, then. Let's go. He paused at the door, looking back over his familiar office. The antique film likeness of Suzanne on his otherwise bare desktop. When he came back, he wondered soberly, would she still be there for him? For the first time in their whole lives, he wasn't so sure. Whether or not, whatever happened, he thought, sighing heavily as the door shut behind him, nothing would be the same after that day. Shira. 11.48 hours, the 15th of October, 2047, Bent Nose Peak. Shira's bedroom door opened and closed slowly, but she didn't hear it. Neither was she aware of Susan Ellison walking away to leave her young guest, as she thought, to get some more much-needed sleep. Shira lay unmoving, curled up fetus-wise, in sheets damp with the dew of her sweat, deep-locked into Talk's processes. Pain pounded Talk's skull with the force of a twelve-man battering ram. The air was suffocating. He blinked the sleep from his eyes, took up the flask, sluiced his mouth, and swallowed. Ramini? So, you're still alive. How do you feel? Relief flooded through him, like a rockfish at the bottom of the pile. He put his eye to the hole. Not dark yet? The fog's rising. It's safe enough. I'm coming across. He chafed his dead legs, remembering the long way back to Asadun. He strained his ears in the silence, heard quick footsteps across the cobbles, then the murmur of voices as she came aboard. Good to know the guard had been there. She raised the lid and with difficulty pulled up the corner of the sail. 
I had a dry axe. This is heavy. How did you manage to breathe under it, Gurniak? Here, squeeze out this way. Steady. Lost your legs? She gave them a perfunctory scrub with her knuckles as Tork swung them over the locker side. As soon as you can shift, you've a thaw waiting over there. Tork looked about him in the dark. The road had a bad feel to it. The thought came to him that she might be leading him into an ambush. I feel exposed, Ramani. Can't we go faster? No. We're riversiders. We don't travel eager. Trust me. Trust her? That was rich, after all she'd said. What news of Gurniak? Not good. Out with it. There's been trouble. They say the king's dead and the queen. He hung his head, blinking down at his hands on the reins. He'd known it, had lived with it, had been braced for it. So he thought. Go on. So are you, some say, uh, but not all. They say your General Brach died with the king, and that Ferric keeps order until your death is proven. She'd dropped the name as though it were a foul disease. There's a deputation waiting for you in the Thar's head, the soldiers. A man called Enkalt. He's the one that sent the Clars to meet the ship. Enkalt? But he was chief adage to Brock. The Dryak! If it were not injury enough that he turned traitor, he'd sent but three common lars for him, likely not daring in broad daylight to be seen himself at what would be known as the Gurnia heir's assassination. His Thar stumbled slightly. The road here was particularly narrow and overgrown, folding back upon itself, as though unwilling to go on. That's the spot I told you about, that next bend. You should have seen us. They grabbed him, you call old Glabrous. Two held his arms. The other put a knife to his throat. Where's the Prince of Goniac? the knife said. Speak up, afore I slit your gizzard. The next thing you know, all three are in the bushes, flat on their backs with us staring down at them. They took off like flip bugs, and that's the last we saw of them. On the road... They're waiting outside the hostel now, you say. Aye, your guard of honour, Gurniak. Scott, if she wasn't laughing at him. 
You're sure they didn't follow you here? Of course, I'm sure. Blue pilgrims went in the front door, and a fisher boy came out the back. Even if they saw me, they'd not have looked twice. True. Talk remembered his first full sight of her on the quay, with a woman's body gone inside such clothes as he now wore. Rough jacket and breeches, striped hose, and a red tasseled cap pulled over one ear. At the very thought, he reached around to scratch his back vigorously. Stop that, Gurniak. That's Cabum's best jacket that he keeps for high days. What did you expect? A hard silk tabard? This Cabum. What did you tell him about me? That you're a friend of mine. How's that for effort, Gurniak? Oh, don't worry. You're as safe under his roof as anywhere here. He's a friend of yours? Maybe. They'd reached the outskirts of the town. There, talk drew rain. What is it, Gurniak? He turned blindly to face her. Why are you doing all this? She shrugged. I thought that was clear on the boat. We struck a bargain, remember? You said you'd find my father and make Eric pay. So he had. Anything else? The thought was tinged with irony. It'll do for now. Come on. We'd best move on or we'll be noticed. She turned them aside down a lane to a low shack, where, signalling him to dismount, she led him across the front yard, through piles of nets and broken mollusk jars, around to the back, where they left the thars tethered beneath a tree. A tap on the shack door brought boots crunching over grit, and a moment later they stood inside an ill-swept scullery, stale with fish and turmoil. The man led them through into a kitchen lit by two reeking lamps and a banked fire. Well, Kabun, a full two inches taller even than Tork, and twice as wide, looked him up and down. So, this is your pilgrim. Ramini nodded. Here. Kabun took Tork into a lean-to of the kitchen and left him there to wash. The water was icy. The towel, sour and wet. And... Where was their blade to scrape his stubble? He smiled at his foolishness. He had no need of razor now, being no longer pilgrim, but once more man of the world. He dipped his hands into the water, swilled his face. When he stepped back into the fog of the kitchen, 
there was an awkward silence. Ramini tells me you don't want my rockfish chodder. Talk looked to the pot of grey sludge on the table and shuddered. But even had it been game meat stew from the king's own kitchens, he realised with surprise, he couldn't have touched it. The very thought of dead meat turned his appetite. Well, say up, lad. Talk looked to Ramony. No, thank you. It was a possible imitation of Ramony's accent, he thought. And so did Kaboon, apparently. You didn't tell me he was from the wheel, girl. No more should I. Shut up and give him some bread. Talk took a bite. It was stale and mouldy around the edge. Cabin took a noisy spoonful of chow and pointed to Talk's arm. Show us your mark. His eyes flickered to Ramani's sleeve. I flit before they branded me. Oh, where were you before that, then? Ramini raised her hand. Here, Cabin, you know better than that. Gurniak, Talk said. Cabin spat. And she took up with you? Sure, right. What you got again, Gurniak? Cabin reached out and seized Ramini's sleeve, pulling it up to show her scar. That's what I got. Best thing she ever did was to get out of there. And now she says she's going back with you. Talk looked at her startled. Since when had she decided that? The bargain had been for her to get him off the boat. Cabin spat again. Ramon is my friend. You think I like the idea of her back in that place? Especially now, with the goings on. With that old man finally dead, praise the choir. Kaboon! And his brood along of him, except for the eldest, who got himself lost halfway to Rome. Kaboon began to laugh. Likely chewed up by one of them langers. Did you hear about him missing the boat? Irregular Pisac he was. He stopped laughing suddenly, and leaning forward, the huge menacing man poked talk in the chest. I'm only sorry I didn't get to him first, because you know why. Capun, that's enough. Ramini sprang up, but Taboon had pulled his fishing knife and was waving it slowly before Talk's face. I'd like to have got him down this road on a dark night to carve some nifty patterns on his hide, like this. As Taboon lashed out, Talk leapt, scraping back his chair with a hard wooden sound but no sooner was he up than he felt a force smack him sideways, 
He twisted, would have recovered, but for the chair. As he went down, he distinctly heard Ramani's horrified cry. Cognac! I thought you were going to... And Cabin's loud laugh. But afterward he never could recall how his head hit the table's edge and how he crashed to the floor, his legs entangled in the chair. Torp felt something cold pressed to his head. He was resting against a rough jacket under which lay great softness and warmth. He's out for the night, Monny. Just look at him. Why don't you go and leave him here with me? What are you doing with such scum? Ramini's voice was cold. I have my reasons. A short laugh from Kaboom. Yours do. I'll give you that. Kaboom, can I still take the thaws? I... The voice sounded sullen. Though Dryak knows how I'll ever see them again. Don't worry, I'm buying them. She took up the cloth, swilled it around briskly in some nearby bowl, and wringing it out, applied it again. Just keep what you owe me. It should buy you three, even four new ones, if you know where to go. And one of those newfangled fish wagons you told me about. Oh, don't be a hard-brained child. Kaboon sounded hurt now. I don't want a rack of your money. I'm worried about you, that's all. Oh, save your energy. The quarrel will take care of me. So you keep saying. But me, I'll see it first. When do you leave with him like that? As soon as he comes around. Tonight? Aye, and soon, I hope. You're not taking him by the route. I may have. Get his other clothes. A pause, then Kaboom crunched across the floor and out. Ramini shook talk urgently. Cognac! Cognac, wake up! I'm that sorry for what I did, but when you got up like that, I didn't know you were only moving out of reach. Talk lay, painfully aware of the hardness in his croot. It had been a long time. She shook him more vigorously, with greater urgency. Prince, wake up! He affected to stir opened his eyes and nuzzled against the jacket front. It was all he could do not to fall upon her. Ramini, obviously catching his drift, dumped him smartly onto the floor and leapt up. Come on, it's time to go. Cabin's fetching you more clothes. More? When did you see a fisherman in Gurniak? On your feet. About Kaboon. He'll give you no more trouble, I promise. Well, that's good. He got up and faced her. I don't mean to complain, but he's crazy. 
as you said, he's one I'd be safe with. I'd like to see one who wished me ill.